are listening to From Sobriety to Recovery with Jesse Mogul. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to From Sobriety to Recovery. I am your host, Jesse Mogul. I am in addiction recovery, and I, once again, as always, am thrilled to be on the microphone with you all. It has been an exciting couple of weeks for me, and I'm going to give you all a little bit of rundown because it feels like I've done a lot over the last seven to ten days, and I'm not sure if I've articulated what it all is that I'm going through over here in Jesse land. And so I have decided to move forward on getting my master's in psychology so that I can become a uh, therapist, counselor. It seems like those words are interchangeable according to the internet, but either way, I will be seeking my degree, getting myself back into college mode, which is super freaking weird because I'm 47 years old. <laughs> and the last time I went to college, I stayed there for 12 years and I'm still not a doctor. Um, though, uh, maybe one day a PhD will be in my future and I won't be able to make that joke anymore. I have chosen Grand Canyon University as my educational institution after hours, and I mean hours of research. I've talked to Vanderbilt and Northwestern and Nova Southeastern and some place in New Hampshire and another place in Colorado and a couple places in California. And <laughs> oddly, Oddly, some of them were really close to where I used to live. And I was thinking, man, that would be hilarious if I ended up going and getting my education from a California university, having just moved from that zip code. But alas, after doing all of this research, and at one point there was 15 different institutions on the table, looking through their curriculums and seeing what they offered and what it was going to be able to help me achieve in my life and my career and everything. Um, Grand Canyon University was the winner, winner, chicken dinner on this whole thing, which is super weird because one, um, I'd only heard of it vaguely when talking to people about getting a master's in psychology. And two, um, it's not one of those big schools and old school Jesse was all about big school names. I even called up University of Florida to find out what getting a master's degree there would be like. Apparently it's six years and you got to be on campus the whole time. And I'm one getting up there. <laughs> Some might call me middle aged. I plan on living to be like 180. So really, I'm very, very young. Um, I don't know if my body is planning on living to be 180. But at some point, I figure I'll just lawnmower man this and just somehow download my entire personality onto the internet. And then you'll never get rid of me. And um, ultimately, no University of Florida, no to Northwestern. They wanted like $150,000. Like, <laughs> Let me just go pull off a couple, you know, $100,000 bills off my money tree in the backyard. So ultimately, I'm very excited about this. Now I'm sitting here writing college essays, and I have not had to like formally write for a university in quite some time, let alone having it be admission letters. Um, you know, these essays that are going to prove I don't, that I'm I don't know, not a moron. It's very interesting, but I'm very excited and I'm going into it with this awesome open mind and I'm just super thrilled. Classes start August 17th. It's all online, which is absolutely a must. Um, I even looked here in Alabama, here in Huntsville and uh, at A&M and thought that would be great to go sit in a classroom. But ultimately with my schedule, that would have just been, it would have been too much and it would have I felt confining. And so as much as I really was looking forward to sitting in a classroom with fellow students who I would have been, I imagine about 20 years older than most of them. Ultimately, again, I keep using the word ultimately, but it feels like there is an ultimate uh, final destination to this. Ooh, final destination. Uh, okay. Not like logs falling off of a truck kind of final destination, but this is the beginning of another beautiful journey and I'm so excited for it. And what's going to be super cool is that as I learn all of this cool stuff, I'm absolutely positively going to be bringing it to the show. And yes, down the line, it uh, will be a therapy counseling uh, future for me, which leads very much into this idea that I get to uh, work from Europe doing what I do and even uh, potentially teaching there. I've always wanted to teach in Portugal and Spain, always. I mean, since I was in college, I wanted to be a... Um, 
a what is it whenever the students go over there well way to go brain um wanted to be <laughs> what i'm sure there's like a couple thousand of you right now are like dude it's called uh whatever it's called <laughs> Uh, anyways, I wanted to be one of those students who went over there and studied, and that was not in my cards. And so uh, maybe I end up over there as a teacher one day. And definitely driving around an RV with uh, an awesome Wi-Fi Elon Musk uh, kind of satellite on my RV as I do therapy and life coaching sessions. I can't wait. It's going to be super sweet. And that's about three years away. <laughs> Because there's so much schooling. And then there's like 2,000, 3,000 hours of supervised um, counseling and all of that. So I'm looking at, I don't know, 2029 20, <laughs> officially being done with this. So it's super awesome. And I wanted to fill you in on that because it's one of those things that when I first got sober, I very vividly, very vividly recall those first few weeks going into Kaiser and meeting with my therapist and sitting in those meetings and seeing everybody else around me pretty much in a very similar position. I don't think anybody in those meetings was past 60 days. And it was just like, what the hell am I going to do with my life? I feel like shit. My brain hurts. My emotions are running amok on me. I have very emo very little emotional stability, let alone any real detailed information about my morals, ethics, values, opinions, beliefs. I mean, I was a complete mess. And to see where all of this has led now in just six and a half years, while it can seem and feel and even sound like a long time it doesn't it doesn't register as a long time it registers like oh my god i feel like it was just january 13th of 2017 yesterday and it's just been spectacular and for so many of that i mean i started this at year 2 um, finishing, you know, coming up on my year two, beginning my third year of sobriety and recovery. So you all have been along this journey with me for four years. And for those of you in the tribe or who I've coached or who've reached out and had conversations with me, then you know even more about me and what's been going on behind the microphone and the real Jesse. Not that you don't get that here, but there are things that just don't end up coming out here that come out there whenever there's more interaction with me. And I'm just blessed to have everybody who is part of my circle being here. And I'm even further blessed that I get to be a part of your circle. And part of growing my circle here in Huntsville has been putting myself in situations where I can go speak more frequently and talk to people who come across those um, with mental health issues and with addiction recovery. And I even go into like chamber meetings and um, hospitality associations and, and places like that and speak because there's a lot of things that are going on in this world today where people feel disconnected. And very much what I focus a lot on is communication and connection and understanding that we all have this world we're living in within our head that is only within our head. And other people have their own world within their head, and it is not going to be the same. And when you try to articulate it to somebody else, it's going to come off possibly a little bit, if not wildly, inaccurate, because even your ability to explain to people what you're experiencing in your head, what you're seeing and what you're feeling and what you're hearing or even smelling and tasting, it's still being run through your filters. It's still being run through your own interpretations of your reality. And so when I hear people saying words like, well, you know what I mean, or you get it, or like, and you know, and I'm like, no, I don't know. Like, finish the sentence. Let me hear your whole thought, because just saying you know is putting me in a position to mind read. And if I'm mind reading, then I'm going to be reading based off my own filters and my own processes, not yours. Because no matter how much I know you or think I know you, I'm still running everything through my own interpretations. I might be trying to run you what you're saying through my interpretations of how you have behaved or said or pictured things in the past when you've explained them to me, but it's still going to be run through my own interpretations of you, which is still going to produce some level of inaccuracies. 
And while that may have come off as a little bit of a sidebar, I want to very much make a point right now that when you're talking with someone, finish your thoughts, close the loop. Don't just use filler words like, 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 or, you know, you know what I mean? You get it. Because that person may not, and they might just shake their head and say yes, because they don't want to be rude and say that they don't. Uh, I don't play that game. I did it tonight in Home Depot. Turned to the girlfriend and I was like, no, I don't know. Please finish the sentence because what we're discussing right now is important. We're discussing measurements and we're discussing how to build a pantry and nothing can be left to chance here because we're thinking about buying wood and saws and hammers and nails and we need to be specific here. Let's just slow down. We can figure this out. Ultimately, we did and it ended up being a really amazing conversation, but it can feel very discombobulating when you go to talk to somebody or figure something out with someone when neither of you really know what the hell you're doing, but you have that internal drive to figure it out. And we can often as humans just sort of toss it away and go, well, you know, and then don't know. And then you get in the middle of the situation that you thought you had planned for and you find that you are nowhere near fully strategized for the situations that are coming up. And because of this discombobulation, we can start to feel internally confused and frustrated and overwhelmed. And when those things come on, especially as those of us with addiction histories, that can start to trigger us emotionally. And when our emotions come up in a undesirable way, then we find ourselves being triggered back to previous behaviors that were calming for us. Even if a ball of blow and a bottle of Jack Daniels in no way, shape, or form actually calms us down, our mind will trick us into saying, well, hey, there you go. There, there right now. Right now. There you go, Jesse. You're, you're, you're discombobulated. And remember what we used to do with, during discombobulation? We used to drink and do some drugs. Maybe that's a good idea right now. It's like, shut the fuck up, brain. <laughs> no mental gymnastics on this. I'm not listening to you anymore right? That is done. That is over. But for a lot of y'all out there, you're at the beginning stages and you have yet to completely dissociate yourself from your drug or drink of choice. And that's one of the things that I really want to talk about today. Because there's a lot of people within my circle, whether it be in the tribe or whether it just be here in Huntsville and the places that I frequent. And I mean, I've got a very large circle. There's people who listen to this show all around the world and I get a lot of messages from you all. And by the way, if that's something that you would like to do is send me an email, then from sobriety to recovery at gmail.com. I created that just for you to send me messages. I check it a couple times a week. So from sobriety to recovery at gmail.com. Super, super generic. For those you're like, that's it at Gmail? It's just the name of the podcast at Gmail? Yeah, because you might be driving right now. And what easier thing to remember than the name of the podcast at Gmail? And so I open that up. If there's something that you'd like to write, please feel free. Um, some of you message me on Instagram or TikTok. And again, those also work. But if you want to write a little bit more of a long form email, then from sobriety to recovery at gmail.com is available. And obviously, if you like what I talk about on the podcast, tell other people about it. Because the more people who have an opportunity to discover this, then the more it grows, the more people I can help, and the bigger we grow our circle, right? The opposite of addiction is connection. And I have been shooting some things over on TikTok. If you're interested in following me on the tickers and the tuckers, uh, I still have yet to decide if I want to touch back into Instagram. I've sort of got this thing against Facebook and Meta and Mark Zuckerberg and the whole freaking company he runs. So I don't know if I'll go back there, but I'm definitely enjoying TikTok and um, launching a YouTube short show as well. So if you search my name on YouTube, you will find um, probably a lot of hilarious videos of me doing sports broadcasting and a morning talk show <laughs> because I took down all my old um, videos from when I did red carpet reporting and such. And so now it's much easier to find my old clips of me doing the news and sports. So if you would like to uh, laugh a little bit with me, go to YouTube and type in my name. Okay, so that was a fun little two minutes of uh, not so uh, brash advertising for me. But let's get back to what we were talking about. That 
a lot of you guys, you send me messages and you're in the beginning stages and you're working through the physical and the emotional and the mental and the spiritual quadrants. And we talk about these a lot in a ton of episodes. You have these four main pillars of your life, physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. And all four of these pillars exist within your three spheres of career, self, and relationships. So you've got this career sphere, you've got this self sphere and you got this relationship sphere and these 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 dance around each other like protons and neutrons in, in an atom it's a beautiful dance and they have these four pillars physical emotional mental spiritual so when you're seeking to grow yourself through your sobriety and recovery where a lot of people want to come up with these convoluted systems that are just super difficult to remember let alone organize i just came up with this one back when I first got sober, because I was like, well, everybody's life has these three main areas, where you work, who you love, and who you are. And that came up, it was pretty easy. And my brain was just like, well, it's like, everybody does something, everybody loves someone, and everybody has themselves. So those are the three things. Those are the three primary spheres of every single human being's life. And then that whole mind, body, spirit thing is where I got physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual. Because you have your mind, and that's the mental aspect. Then you've got your body, that's the physical aspect. And I took spiritual, and I just split it in half, because I thought there was too much happening within that pillar to easily discuss. And so it became your emotions and your spirituality, which again, doesn't have to be around religion, but all things that are religious are spiritual, but not all spiritual things are religious. And that's actually an inductive versus deductive thing that we're going to talk about in this episode. Because when you're going through your first 30, 60, 90, 120 days, there's going to be a lot of discombobulation going on within you. And um, earlier today, I was actually on the phone with a client, and one of the things that he said that really struck me was, he's like, well, why can't this just be simpler? Why can't this just be shallower? Does it have to be so deep? And I'm paraphrasing, so it's not necessarily all the words he used, but where it went to was, why does this have to be (laughs) so much? Why can't sobriety (laughs) and the recovery from it just be easier? And it it's because humans aren't shallow. You might think somebody in your life is a shallow person, but there is depth in their mind for why they do the things that they do. It's never just, oh, um, my mom got Crohn's when I was eight years old, therefore I became an alcoholic and a drug addict. There's so many more traumatic moments that I turned into trauma by reliving them in my head over and over and over again and attaching other things that made me sad, mad, depressed, jealous, angry, whatever the emotion, fearful. I attach those emotions to other events that begin to stack on top of one another. No event has to be traumatic. It can be just an event but we begin to relive it over and over and over again in our heads, especially as children, when we're attaching meaning to things that could be way off base, but we don't have a prefrontal cortex yet. We barely have an ability to articulate the things going on in our lives to our primary caregivers and our friends and our family. So we end up just living an entire life inside of our head, trying to figure things out because we don't really know how to ask other people what it is that we're experiencing. And like I said at the beginning of this episode, even when they try to explain things to us, it's being run through their interpretations, their subjective reality, their processes and their filters for their life. And they might do their best to articulate what it is they're experiencing through the words you've fed them. But it's often going to give you a very inaccurate response that might equate to what it is you've actually been thinking. I know that could have sounded a little convoluted there, but I think most of you get the gist of it, 220 some episodes in, that you were living a life, you were making meanings out of things. Something may have happened that your parents didn't even think was traumatic moment. You know, being late to pick you up from school or you dropping your ice cream cone and then laughing and continuing to walk, but then you felt disrespected or unloved. And then you started attaching other times when they didn't offer you a drink at the table or they didn't hold the door for you. And I know you think those little things don't matter, but they add up. 
and you don't really know how your mind's making meaning out of things until you become an adult. And now all of a sudden you feel unworthy and unloved and you get stressed out over things that you believe you shouldn't be getting stressed out over. When you have all of these negative events that have happened in your childhood that you then begin to just stack one on top, one on top, one on top, one on top. And now here we are in our 20s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and beyond seeking to heal the suffering, seeking to heal the trauma. There's going to be a lot of layers. There's going to be a lot of life experiences that have come from all directions. And I know we would love it to be simple. It's just not the way the human mind works. There's layers and there's depth and there's nuance to us. And Man, is it a journey and it can only tell you that and hope that it it helps. And I know it can this is where, you know, AA and the twelve steps talk about one day at a time. Right, we're not trying to be sober forever. We're just being sober today. We're being sober for this next hour. We're being sober for the next five minutes, for the next ten seconds. That old Kimmy Schmidt, the unbreakable Kimmy Schmidt show on Netflix, where she's like, anybody can do something for ten seconds. What are you experiencing right now? And how can you just move through it? Is it doing some push-ups? Is it doing some meditation? Is it reading a book? Is it going for a walk? Is it generally going to be something with your physical body? Because that's a really great way to pattern interrupt ourselves. But once you've pattern interrupted yourself and you've calmed yourself down, there's still the muck and the mire. What created that trigger? What did you see? What did you hear? What did you feel? What did you taste? What did you smell? What did you say to yourself? What was the triggering event? And it's very interesting to me whenever I get feedback from people about what it is they're experiencing. And someone um, very recently uh, sent me some text messages about how amazing and strong and free they felt from their addiction. Um, And then subsequently had a very rocky couple days after that. And as much as I attempted to let them know that, yes, there's going to be the high and the low days until you experience the high, uh, the natural high I'm talking about here of being sober and of not being, you know, chained to this addictive substance any longer until you've experienced that freedom. And then there's going to be that sort of boomerang back. And I know for those of you new to this, through, again, 30, 60, 90, 120, hell, you could still be experiencing some of this at year one, year two. <laughs> I, get, I have some emotional days and I'm six and a half years in. I don't know if you ever can just completely wipe away the emotional days, but where that brain starts to try to talk you back into your previous behaviors. And I noticed a bit of a pattern with this, that when we first get into sobriety and recovery, and it can be very difficult um, those first few weeks and months. Just that desire, that craving for the addictive substance. And then our brain starts to uncloud and our body feels better and we're eating a little healthier and we're sleeping a little bit better and things are starting to actually straighten up for us. The brain will actually become fearful that it won't get to experience the goodness of that one day, day in and day out. And it can actually boomerang you back to the addictive substance because of that fear, because of like, oh my goodness, now I felt good. This was amazing. This is what I've been hiding from myself all this time. This is something I've been pushing away. I didn't even know it was available because for a lot of us, the traumatic moment turned into trauma at a young age. And we have no clue what it's like to live without that burden, that weight, that anchor around our necks. So then we start to get sober and we start to unfog ourselves and we're like, holy shit, there's this whole thing over here. And this actually feels pretty damn good. The brain can get a little freaked out. What if I can't always feel this way? Well, what if tomorrow is not this great? And next thing you know, That's when the stress and that's when the anxiety and that's when the self-doubt and the confusion and the discombobulation come in and the brain knows exactly what to do with those emotions. It knows, let's push them down. Let's push them down because this drug or this alcohol, it's, it's just right over there. It's just right over there. We know how to get it. We've been getting it for how long? We know all the patterns and all the habits it takes to get that addictive substance back into our body. We don't 
necessarily have all of the awesome new pathways developed to help us move through those emotionally tumultuous times. I mean, I had an experience the other day with the girlfriend and her son here in the home. We're trying to move a piece of furniture. We're all talking over one another. Poor communication by all three of us. But I was not in the space to deal with it. And I popped off and I yelled, like just yelled to the point where it was a very short outburst, less than 25 seconds, if that. But it was enough to make them both walk away. And now I'm trying to push this whole damn piece of furniture down the driveway. And, you know, I I deserved that. They definitely, I deserve to be walked away from. That was not the correct behavior. And ultimately, it was something I had to go apologize to both of them for. And I felt bad for it the rest of the night. And it was just, it was not a good situation. But we can have these emotional explosions. And at the beginning stages, we can take these emotional explosions and we can use them as an excuse to go back to the way we were. Now, here we are, you know, I'll use I'll use more of an I statement here. Here I am at six and a half years. There is no going back to the alcohol or the drugs. So we're beyond that. So now I have to deal with the aftermath. There's the apologizing. And then really for me, it's more about the after action report. Yes, the apologizing is a huge part of it. But that's just, to me, step one of figuring out why the hell I just behaved that way. Because without the after action report, without sitting down with myself being like, okay, what just happened right now? And I was able to go back and think, okay, let's, we had some conversations about this on our walk and that sort of got me a little discombobulated. We came in, there was a little bit more, you know, conversation back and forth that just put me into a bad place. And then here we are moving a 250 pound piece of furniture and we're not communicating very well as a family. And I just, I just freaked out. Okay. So what can I do next time? I could have stepped away from the piece of furniture, had everybody else step away, said, okay, we need to have better communication. What is the plan right now? Okay, that's not centered. We need this centered on the dolly better because we're getting ready to go down a driveway and there's this big crack that we've got to look out for. So we've got to steer around it and the thing's going to slide and we got to be prepared for that. Like I could have talked them through the things I knew were coming up, but I didn't do that. I didn't use my words. I used very few words, just assuming that they figured it out. And it's exactly what happened in Home Depot tonight. You can't just say, well, you know, no, I don't know. I don't know what's going on inside your head any more than you know what's going on inside of my head. And in that moment with the piece of furniture, I did not use my words. I did not articulate well. So in my after action report, I realized that while I was in a highly, highly, you know, just frizzled up, fired up emotional state. And I just wanted to get it done. I just wanted to get this damn piece of furniture down to the end of the driveway. Uh, Turns out we got this piece of furniture off of a company called Wayfair and it's got these little powder post beetles inside the wood. And then they, they came out and they're super tiny, but we didn't want it in the house and have bug guy come out. It was a whole thing. And (laughs) Our house is not infested by powder post beetles, but it was definitely a worry. And getting this damn piece of furniture out of our house so that they wouldn't you know, continue to come out of the furniture and potentially get into our house was important. Um, never in a million years did I think that we would buy some piece of furniture off of an internet company and have it come show up with infested with beetles. But that's exactly what happened. So anyways, after action report, should have had everybody step away, stand up, calm down. This is what's going on. There's three things I know about what's getting ready to happen on this driveway because I pushed a heavy piece of furniture down it before. I'd like to forewarn you about this. And these are why these two things that I keep harping on are so important. I could have listened to their feedback about what they were seeing underneath the furniture because I was not down there. I was only seeing what was above because I was the person lifting one side of it up to get the dolly underneath it. There was a whole thing. Poor communication by everyone, but I'm going to take responsibility for me. I was the one who took lead on it. I was the one who should have been articulating better. And the after action report allowed me to realize that, you know, I was in a highly charged up emotional state. I was not communicating effectively. There, I did not let everybody in on the plan and the strategy for how we were going to accomplish this. 
and I didn't listen to any of the feedback that they were giving me. Even if I didn't think that it was helpful, that's not in, that's nowhere near as important as allowing somebody to be heard in a situation where we're all looking to work as a team. And I cannot press that enough upon you all that when you're in situations where you are seeking to work as a team, communicating effectively, listening to one another, strategizing the plan, um, anticipating any kind of hurdles or a crack in the driveway that's that's raised it up a half an inch that this dolly's going to get stuck on and the whole furniture is going to go flying off the front of it like there are things that need to be discussed and so when we discuss these emotions and I've talked about emotions a ton on this show um and it just came to me recently in fact that night laying in bed thinking about my after action report that one of the things I don't know if I have discussed is openly is that most of the time when I have learned to communicate better, it has been after an undesirable communication opportunity. It has been where I have shown my ass. It has been where I have not articulated myself in a way that was effective and efficient and where both parties knew what the fuck I was trying to say or do or, you know, get across and so these after-action reports are extremely important. They are, to me, one of the fundamentals of my sobriety and recovery journey. And I don't know if I've really ever discussed that as much because I don't think I've caught myself in a moment where utilizing the AAR after-action report has been so important. But in this moment, the way I yelled, the way I got upset, oh yeah, an AAR definitely needed to happen. And so I would encourage you all to not be hard on yourself when you have a miscommunication with someone around you. And of course, there's going to more than likely be an apology that's necessary. But do the after action report and step back and really figure out what went sideways in that moment. Because the best way we learn to you know, be better and do better and get better and again, better being subjective to perspective, but the best way we grow ourselves and evolve ourselves isn't necessarily doing it right every single time an opportunity presents itself. It's learning what we didn't do as desirably and then do working on ourselves to do it better the next time. I would love to communicate 100% amazing every single time there's an opportunity to communicate. But I actually learn the best when I completely fall in my own shit. I absolutely work the best whenever I take on the feedback hat rejecting the failure label. I didn't fail in that moment as much as, I mean, I still got the furniture at the end of the driveway. (laughs) So winner, winner, chicken dinner on that. But I definitely did not communicate effectively with my family in that moment. And now I get some feedback. Some people would label it as a failure. They would take on shame. They would take on guilt. And certainly I did feel those things and I made my apologies and we've moved through that. But you will learn the best when you fall on your face. So don't be afraid to fall on your face. Most of the champions out there will tell you that they they remember the losses way more than they remember the victories. And it's in those losses that we can say, okay, well, this is where I am at now. This is what I have learned. How can I fill the gap between what I've learned and what I'm actually doing? And that's something that's very key that I want to make sure that I bring up in here because there's this thing that I teach in the master practitioners level of my neuro-linguistic programming course, and it's called inductive and deductive language. Um, it's You've also heard it as inductive and deductive logic. And the deductive comes out and it says this, since I can't drive any car, I won't be able to drive a Cadillac. That's deductive because I can't do this one thing. I won't be able to do this other thing. If I can't drive any car, then I certainly can't drive a Cadillac because if I can't drive any car and a Cadillac is a car, then therefore I cannot drive this Cadillac. Inductive says if I can drive this Cadillac, then I can drive any car. Now, is that necessarily true for either of those? I may not be able to drive a Cadillac. I may not be able to drive a car, but maybe I could drive a four-wheeler or a motorcycle. And if I can drive a Cadillac, does that that mean I can drive anything? There's someone in the tribe who drives a semi-truck. I can drive my Hyundai Santa Fe, but I do not know how to drive a semi-truck. 
I have never even sat inside of a semi-truck. I have stood on the little step and looked inside of a semi-truck, but I have never sat down in there. And from what I hear, there's like a lot of gears, like way more than a normal car. <laughs> You'll have to tell me that next time we're talking in the in the Voxer chat, um, Mr. Tribe member who drives a semi-truck, uh, because I would love, I'm pretty sure it's got a lot of gears. So just because I can drive my Santa Fe does not mean I can drive anything. Anymore that because I can't drive any car, that means I won't necessarily be able to drive a Cadillac. So let's go back into these titles and why they're important. So you have deductive. If I can't do this, I won't be able to do that. And inductive says, well, if I can do this, then I can do that. And what's important here is that when we start to utilize, well, if I can't do this correctly, that means I can't do that correctly. When we have these emotional outbursts, when we lapse after 40 days of sobriety, when we find ourselves not living up to the potential we've told ourselves that we're capable of, then that can actually begin to deteriorate other areas of our lives where we had once felt confident. Well, if I can't even stay sober for 40 days, then how can I be a good parent? How can I be a good worker? How can I be a good teacher? Or how can I be a good employee? Or how can I be a good boss? Or how can I be a good basketball player? Like, because I couldn't stay sober, that means I can't do other things. And it might not sound like those two things would equate, well, because I can't stay sober, that means I can't be a good driver. It doesn't feel like those things would end up equating in the brain. And when you say them out loud, you definitely would think, okay, just because I couldn't stay sober for X amount of days doesn't mean that I can't drive a car. Those two things aren't even similar. What I want you to understand is that the way the brain takes on success and failure, when we succeed at things, we grow our confidence. We start to feel there's other areas of our lives we can improve because we improved this one area. Well, I was able to, you know, walk 10,000 steps for 30 days straight. Therefore, I can also go to the gym for 30 days straight. Or I can also, um, you know, go outside and do yard work for 30 days straight because I was disciplined and focused and was able to do this one thing for 30 days. What else could I do for 30 days? There have been things I have seen on social media where someone's like, well, I did this for 30 days. So now I'm going to do a 30-day challenge every day for the year. And they just made that up off the top of their head. Well, this month I'm going to backflip every single day for 30 days because I drank water, a gallon of it every day for 30 days. That's that inductive logic. That's that inductive language pattern you're using inside your head. And that can be extremely beneficial when we're tying victories, successes to how can we achieve other things in other areas of our life where it can be harmful is when we use it the opposite way, when we use the deduction way. Well, since I couldn't stay sober or since I couldn't walk 10,000 steps for 30 days straight, that means that I can't also eat healthy for 30 days straight, or I can't also communicate effectively with my family for 30 days straight, or I can't go in and ask for this promotion because I couldn't do this one thing. That means I can't do other things. And that can be very venomous in our lives. Yes, it would be awesome if every single one of us could just make the decision to get sober. We've contemplated through it. We planned around it. We've taken action to get sober, and now we can just get into that maintenance stage and we can just glide our way to addiction recovery. Long-term recovery is obviously everybody's goal when we get sober, but there are going to be a lot of trials and tribulations and hurdles, and there's going to be a lot of emotions that are running through you. And I want you to understand that that's completely normal. All those neurotransmitters that have been affected for so many years by all the alcohol and all the drugs and a neurotransmitter is like um, the dopamine and the serotonin and the GABA. I don't got a list of them in front of me, but there's a lot of different ones. And your brain is discombobulated and it's trying to find itself back to homeostasis. And in the process of doing this, you're going to have great days. And then your mind's going to want to drag you back to the way you used to be because it's fearful that you won't get to have amazing days every time. And we know that it's not life 
uh, sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. There's good days and there's bad days. And we don't know why we wake up on the quote-unquote wrong side of the bed, but just some days we seem to glide through life like we're in constant state of flow. And other days it's it's like there's cement shoes on our feet and there's an anchor holding us down. And Why is it happening? Freaking frack, man. I mean, the best you can do for yourself is do an after action report and say, okay, well, what happened yesterday? What did I eat? Or how much did I sleep? Or what conversations did I have? What social media did I look at before I went to bed? What could be a possibility for why I woke up today not feeling like I was gliding on clouds like I did yesterday? But it's all part of the process. And yeah, I tried so many times to stop drinking in college and in my 30s in Los Angeles, I'd go 30, 60, 90 days, and then I'd go right back to it. And I'd be like, nope, this time I'm ready to rock and roll. No way. Go to the gym every single day. And I'd do all the gym, and I'd eat all the broccoli, and I'd eat all the healthy foods. And then something, I wouldn't even know. I wasn't even paying attention. Y'all are paying attention way more than I was paying attention back then. Hell, if nothing else, you're listening to this show. I wouldn't listen to anything about this. I wasn't trying to read any books. I was just cold turkey in it and white knuckling it. Now we have so much more information, so many more opportunities. And you're turning to, whether it's me or meetings or other sources, you are seeking to grow and evolve. And it's going to be a process. And one day it's just going to click and you're not even going to know what you did differently. But that's when I, you know, really push for the after action report. Well, what is it you did differently today than you did before? And what did you do differently this week than you did the week before and the month before and then the three months before and the six months before? Because there are going to be patterns you are going to be able to discover. And when you can discover the pattern, then you can really begin to measure what it was you changed in order to achieve this. It's in that specificity, the specifics. What did you specifically do that helped you achieve this. And the more you can notice that and your awareness is open to what it is you specifically changed, now you can begin to replicate it because you can recognize it. And when you can replicate things, then you can begin to measure them. And when you measure them, then you can actually turn them into a strategy, which you can turn into a habit and it can become a new way of life. Now, when I find myself, you know, getting fired up emotionally, I will remember in the garage, just like I remember the time that I cut that person off when they were driving their CRV or their RAV4 and it caused that accident. And now I don't do any kind of um, angry driving. There's no road rage in Jesse because I know what happens. I know how painful that can be for somebody else when I let my road rage out against somebody else. Just because they did something for five seconds does not mean I have to go off and do something that could literally change their life forever. I will remember that garage moment very similarly. I anchored into it. So the next time that I get an angry moment, I can flash back to that and I can utilize it to calm me the fuck down. If that means walking away, if that means dropping down and doing some push-ups, if that means pouring water all over my head, I don't care what it takes. I will figure that out the next time, but I can assure you I am not going to scream at my family members like a lunatic just because they couldn't pull the little whiteboard one inch closer. Seriously, Jesse, let's focus down on that a little bit. So I want you to think about inductive versus deductive. Or where is it that because you didn't succeed in this one area that you believe you can't succeed in other areas? Because that's just not true. And any more than it's true that because you succeeded in one area that you can succeed in all areas or in, in all these different areas. But it's the confidence that comes from the success that leads us to believe that we can achieve more success. So we want to use the deductive. We want to be like consciously aware that like, hey, I achieved this one thing, therefore I can achieve a lot of things. It's just a matter of what did I do to achieve this thing? Did I focus? Was I disciplined? Was I open? Was I communicating? Was I listening? Was I self-aware? Did I have situational awareness? Did I have confidence, self-assuredness? What was it I was utilizing right here, right now in order to be successful? Now let's take those traits, those values, those principles, and let's just move them over to this new activity we, we now want to succeed at, and then just start taking action. Will it immediately be successful? 
maybe so, maybe not. That's for you to experience when you actually follow through with this. But on the inductive side, right, if something doesn't go the way that you want, and it's not necessarily failure, it's just a feedback opportunity, then you can do the same thing. Ask yourself, okay, well, this didn't work out the way I had hoped. So what did I do? Was I angry, jealous, shameful, full of guilt, stressed out, anxious? What was it that triggered those, those negative feedback loops? What was it that triggered those negative feelings within me? Because it was in that negative triggering that it put me back into my old behavior loop. Just because you weren't able to do this one thing doesn't mean you can't do all these other things. But it is important that you understand what it was that perhaps triggered you not to succeed in the way that you had, would have preferred. There's something in there for you to learn. It's in the after action report that you will discover what you really did well and desirably versus what you could have done more desirably, quote unquote, better the next time. It is extremely important as we grow our self-awareness and our emotional awareness and our emotional intelligence that we're doing these after action reports, that we're diving deep inside of ourselves. And it's this inductive versus deductive logic and language patterns that we can often hold us back from achieving great things or push us to pursue things that we had never thought we could attain. And it's all happening inside your head. Whether I could, tomorrow I hit 30 days walking steps at 10,000 steps a day. And some of these days have not been easy. I have been on the exercise bike at 1130 at night, hammering out some steps because I was no way I was not going to succeed at this. Does that mean that I could succeed at going to the gym 30 days in a row next month or over the next 30 days? No, it doesn't have anything to do with that. I did achieve 30 steps or 10,000 steps a day for these 30 days, but it doesn't necessarily equate to anything. I choose whether I want to equate it to that. I choose whether I attach the success of 30 days straight of 10,000 steps. And I'm planning on getting, I mean, my next big one's 100. I choose whether to attach it to that. But just as much as, let's say I had missed one of the days. Now do I say, well, I couldn't even do 30 days of steps. So probably not going to be able to eat healthy for 30 days. No, it doesn't mean that. We attached that meaning we made that up in our head. So I do encourage us to, to utilize the deductive. Because I was able to succeed at 10,000 steps a day for 30 days, this does mean that I can uh, achieve you know, releasing these last 10 pounds before October 3rd. I, I encourage the deductive based off of successes and self-confidence and self-worth. It's the inductive ones that I really want us to begin to question. Just because I didn't do this thing does not mean that I can't do all these other things. And in fact, you didn't fail. You just had a minor setback, right? So now it's 41 days out of 43. Now it's, it's like the quarterback throwing the passes. Might only throw six interceptions the whole season. But, but what about the 512 completions and the 47 touchdown passes? Like that should be merited. But I promise you that quarterback is remembering those six interceptions way better than they're remembering the 47 touchdown passes. Because that's what people who are seeking to be better are doing. They're figuring out what it is they didn't do as well. And they're using it as feedback to grow and to achieve more. Champions are made in the specificity. You have to know specifically what you're trying to achieve and come up with a strategy and start to act upon it. And from there, you grow your self-confidence, you grow your trust towards yourself, and that will help you love yourself. You are important. You have always been important, and your feelings matter. In fact, I would debate that for each one of us, that our happiness is more important than anybody else's happiness in our world. Because if we're not happy and we're giving, 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 what happens if all that giving one day and then the person that we're giving all of this to still isn't happy, but we have sacrificed, sacrificed, sacrificed what it is we wanted in order to make this other person happy. And we're not even sure if they're going to be able to achieve that happiness because happiness is, is that that's their own game. That has to be their own journey. I can give everything to someone and it still doesn't mean that they're going to be happy with their life. Still doesn't even mean that they're going to be happy with me. So if I just keep giving, 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 giving and sacrificing my happiness, 
Then I might turn around one day and I'm not happy. And it turns out they're not happy either. Then what was all that giving, giving, giving and sacrificing for? Where I believe that if I'm working on myself, I'm growing and evolving myself, I am doing myself a a service by taking care of myself and focusing on self-care and working on my contentment and growing my happiness towards myself, that that is actually going to bring like a secondary gain to everybody else around me. That they're going to enjoy being around me more. I'm going to have more energy and I'm going to have more spirit and I'm going to have more enthusiasm to share with them. I'm not going to feel like my tank is always empty. In fact, I'm going to feel like my tank is so full that giving all of y'all a little bit of it isn't even going to, it's not even going to move the needle. But it's important that we're working on keeping our needle full because we cannot rely on somebody else to do it for us. The greatest successes you will have in life are the ones that you can, where you can take on an activity that is self-initiated, it's self-maintained, It started by you. It's something that you can do for yourself. Not something that you have to rely upon others to start up and continue going for you. If it's something that you yourself can fuel up and fire up, then you have more control over it. You are the empowered. You are the one in the creator's seat. All right. I feel like I've gone off on, I didn't even know where I thought this episode was going to go. I'm not sure it went where I thought it was going to go, but I think that's exactly what you all needed to hear. I want you to believe in yourself. I want you to know that yes, the first week or day or 30 or 60 or 90 or how many ever, yeah, it's going to be a lot. (laughs) It's going to be a lot. And it's going to be awesome. And there's going to be highs and there's going to be lows. And again, it's not sobriety that sucks. It's just life sometimes. But you know what? We work through it. We figure it out. We get back up. We brush ourselves off and say, okay, here we go again. What I will notice, and I've noticed this in my own psychology, is that I did 436 days straight of hitting my goal of 10,000 steps. And on day 437, I strategically stopped myself. Now, the next day, oddly enough, I got like 16,000 steps, but I needed to break the streak. And um, the app I was using allowed for rest days every six or seven days. So I did, that wasn't, it wasn't 436 every single day. There were some rest days thrown in there, but I'd go three, four months at a time without missing a day. But this app said, Jesse, you had completed 436 straight days. And on the 437th day, I chose... Like I had been working up to it and me and one of my workout buddies at the time, we had been discussing stopping our streaks because his had gotten past 300 days. Mine had got, was coming up on 400 and we started to strategize when we would stop the streaks because it was becoming so much of an obsession that it wasn't healthy anymore. And I was like, well, here comes 437 and four and three or seven and seven and seven, 77. I mean, you know, my infatuation with the number seven. So stopping on day 437 just made complete sense to me. And so I geared up for it. And that was the day that I officially allowed the app to break. I actually took a rest day like five days before. And on day 437, I didn't hit it. And that's when the streak was snapped. And it's very interesting right now going back through all of this and I'm going to hit 30 days tomorrow. And part of my brain feels very overwhelmed remembering that I did this for 436 days before and I'm only at 30 now. Because it's like, you're never going to be able to get back to 436. Oh my God, that's like, you know, a year and a half. It's so far away. It's Actually, it's only like a year and two months. But so many, oh my God. And some days I wake up and I'm like, 10,000 steps is so far away. I'm only at 217 right now. And that's when I just remember my addiction recovery teachings. That I'm not trying to walk 436 days straight at 10,000 steps today. Today I'm looking at 10,000. And it's only nine in the morning. And yeah, I may only have 500, but you know what? I'll walk around my neighborhood that will get me 3000. And then I go to the gym and that'll get me another 3000. And I hop on the exercise bike for 30 minutes and that'll get me another 3000. And before you know it, I'm at 10,000 and it's like, oh, wow, it's dinner time. Like, don't let the numbers freak you out. So you were at day 52 and now you're that back down to day one. You're not just trying to sprint to day 52. You're going to get there the same way you got there the first time. 
day in and day out focus. And there will be setbacks, but it's not the end. It is, it is, it's just a little off-ramp, just a little rest stop. Get back on the horse or the car or the motorcycle or whatever you want to use in this metaphor. Get that ignition back going and get back on the highway, and you'll slowly start hitting a mile marker. And before you know it, you'll be back to wherever you want to be. But don't let the number freak you out. And I'm really saying this out loud to y'all so I can hear myself say it. Because, yeah, if I, you know, I looked at it today, I'm like, 29. Right now in my brain, it's really looking forward to day 36 because then I'll only be 400 days away. <laughs> but I don't even know if I want 436 days. Right now, I'd really like to see 100. I'm really looking forward to all the sevens, of course. Day 77 will be awesome. Definitely going to talk about that on TikTok. And most importantly, I just want you to realize that there are going to be the highs and there are going to be the lows. And I want you to use your the power of deductive for your successes. Wow, I succeeded here. I, God, where else can I succeed? And I want you to start releasing that inductive because just because you weren't able to make it a couple months in sobriety doesn't make you a bad human or a bad spouse or a bad mom or dad or coworker or whatever. It just makes you human. There are no weak people. There are only strong anchors. And it's through the healing and the from the sufferings and the trauma that we imposed upon ourselves from these, you know, traumatic moments that turned into trauma from the reliving. It is in the healing that your best self ever is waiting on the other side. And you're going to get glimpses. It's going to be delicious and it's going to be amazing when you see them. And then other days, you might be standing in the middle of the garage screaming at your family members because they don't know what the hell you're trying to tell them. And you got to walk away from that whole thing thinking, what the fuck did I just do? Not the best Jesse ever. But we have our wins and we have our, I guess I'll look for ways to do that better the next time moments. And that I think is the most important. When we can be human enough to not necessarily always succeed the way we'd hoped, but be compassionate enough towards ourselves to realize that tomorrow is another chance to just be better than the versions of ourselves that we were when we woke up. I love all y'all. I love talking about this stuff. If you want more of me, go on YouTube. Look up my YouTube shorts. One new one's coming out a week for a, a little bit. Then I'll ramp that up as it starts to feel more comfortable. Going to start doing a little bit more on the ticky talky. I love just saying it weirdly so that you guys laugh at me. And we go, we go up on the Facebook. Will I go back on the Facebook? No. Me and Meta are still not on speaking terms. I feel like he screamed at me in the middle of the garage one time, and I still haven't forgiven him. Yeah, I'm talking to you, Zuckerberg. I remember Cambridge Analytica. I'm not a moron. I know what you did with my data. Anyways, that's a little bit of tin hat. Did you guys notice how multiple governments on the planet are coming out saying that aliens have been here for a long, long time? And somehow that isn't the number one thing being talked about on social media and uh, within all of the major media corporations. Like, seriously? Area 51 has really been housing aliens all this time, and somehow this isn't like the front page of every single newspaper. That tells you how insane our world's gotten. When aliens actually exist and have been here isn't even the running story on the front page of our newspapers. I used to think that the world would stop and and like you know get on its knees and just like look to the heavens and yell come visit us and start dancing around like they did at the beginning of Independence Day and no no barely a word I'm just saying that's how fucking crazy our world's gotten that aliens really existing can just be said on mainstream media news channels and then the world doesn't just stop Oh, man, I don't know where we're going, but as long as we're going there together, it's going to be one hell of a ride. So follow me on all the socials. Search my name, Jesse Mogul. Not too hard to find me. Would you like to be um, in the tribe? Would you like to be in our Voxer chat? Would you love to have some support by other people who are avid listeners of the show and love themselves some NLP and just want to be super supportive and be there for you and also do the celebrating? God, we do a lot of celebrating. Come to the tribe, and I assure you, you will get confetti. Um, it is amazing. I love everything about this show. I love everything about y'all. Oh, highs, lows, wins, losses, ebbs, flows, all of it. 
the fact that we're doing it together is way more powerful than doing it alone. You are literally living the embodiment of the opposite of addiction is connection whenever you take what you learn here and you go discuss it with other people who are on a similar journey with you. Be the version of yourself that you know is inside you, and I assure you, you will see that person. As always, inclusivity over exclusivity, the power of positive energy, release and flow. Every day is the best day of our lives because we wake up sober. Shout out to Sunshine. Glow on. See you next time. Bye-bye. 